There is a desire that is baked down deep into our sinful nature, isn't it? And that's to get revenge. When we are wronged, we desire to get back at someone. We desire to get the win. Now, whether it's something that is overtly harmful to us, that really, really hurts, or even if it's something that isn't all that big of a deal, we still just want to get back at people. We, we want to rise up. We want to be on top. That's just baked deep down into us. And like I said, it happens with big things, and it can happen with little things. I have an example. Just a few Saturdays ago, I felt this inane desire within me rather strongly. We were spending the day at our league softball tournament for Carly's team in Jasper, and in our first game, it was raining. God Bless God for the rain, right? Amazing. So we weren't complaining. It was a nice day to be out there, but standing out at first base, doing the first base coaching, I got very wet. It was just a wet day. We did not play our best, and we lost the first game. We just we just dropped down into the loser's bracket. But we knew that we should have beaten that team that we were playing, but we just didn't play well in the rain. So as I went and looked at the tournament bracket throughout the day, I wasn't just looking at who we were going to play next. I was mapping out how we could get back at that team. You've, I think there's some other ones of you who've done that, right? How can we... In the loser's bracket, how can we come back and get our shot to redeem ourselves, to end up on top? Well, we did get to that scenario, and I'm going to tell you, it was really satisfying to walk off the field at the end of the day, not at the end of the day, but in the game before the championship game, with a six-point or six-run win. It was wonderful. It felt good. Now, I'm not admitting something that was innately maybe sinful, this is just this, this, it, this was competitive spirit. Don't judge me here, right? But you, you get the idea. Even for little things, we desire to end up back on top. We want to climb to the top and get ahead of the ones who have wronged us or defeated us. And usually we will do whatever we can to avenge that loss or that pain that we receive. So as we return to the book of Genesis this morning, we're going to see that the wronged party and the whole incident with Jacob and the blessing from Isaac, we're going to remember that Esau wants payback. He wants to get to the top by any means necessary. But we're going to find that in his desire to prevail, he is just further proving that he isn't the child of the covenant. He just doesn't get it. Esau does not understand the promise of God. And he reveals himself to be unworthy of the promise that God promised to Jacob before the two of them were even born. So as we dig into the passage this morning, we're once again going to break it down into some main points. And today we have two. The first thing that we're going to see in this passage is that Jacob receives a second blessing from Isaac. Now Esau is seeking revenge on Jacob, and so Jacob is sent away from the region, and he is to seek out a wife from among their family line. Now, as we finished up chapter 27 two weeks ago, we saw that not only was Esau looking to kill his brother for what he did, but we also saw Rebekah expressing the pain 
that Esau marrying a Hittite woman, Hittite woman had caused her. And we're going to find that this is used as a reason to send Jacob on his way and to get him away from Esau and also to keep him safe. Secondly, we will see we will see that in an attempt to get into his father's good graces and to obtain the blessing himself, Esau compounds the problem. As I said just a few minutes ago, Esau doesn't get it. He doesn't understand what's going on. He, he's going to prove once again that he is not the child of the promise. He isn't the one who deserves to be the one on whom the promise of the Messiah rests. And so as we land in chapter 28... We need to do a quick bit of background work to refresh our memory on where we are in the story. I, I mentioned as I was reviewing the points that, that, uh, that Esau or that Rebekah did not like Esau's wife. And so we, we look at what happened here. We have to remember the revenge that Esau wanted also, not just this distaste that she had for the Hittite women. Notice what it says here. After Jacob and Rebekah deceived Isaac, Esau was filled with hatred, and he desired a blessing for himself. And we see that in order to obtain that blessing, he was willing to end the life of his brother. And he would not only get vengeance there, not only would he end up on top, but he would be the only one left to receive the blessing, right? There would be a double blessing. But we have to remember back to Cain and Abel. Because this story is starting to smell like that story, right? The brother wants revenge on the younger brother. If Esau were to take Jacob's life, there would not be a blessing for him because he would be unworthy just as Cain was, and God would provide the promise through someone else. But we know the story of Jacob, and we know it isn't going to end there. And we also read two weeks ago, as I mentioned already, that extreme distaste that Rebecca has for the Hittite women. And that is so important as we plunge ourselves into chapter 28 this morning and we see the consequences of this desire for revenge that Esau wants to get on Jacob. Now Isaac knows what is happening, and so he actively gets involved in the situation. And as our passage today starts off, we find that he blesses Jacob again. This is another blessing. Now, that is an interesting and important detail in this story. Jacob had used deception to acquire the patriarchal blessing from his father. But now, as Jacob is sent out, Isaac is going to expand that blessing a bit. And he's being deliberate about his, about his instructions. And he's also deliberate to speak of the other elements of the Abrahamic covenant. And as he starts out with instruction here, he says, do not take a wife from among the Canaanite women. Now, remember, back to the story of Isaac. He didn't take a Canaanite wife. He was 40 years old, and a servant was sent to this same region where he's sending Jacob. He was to find a wife from among his own people. And that's how Isaac and Rebekah came together. Now, this seems like a strange detail for us of what they're talking about. But we have to remember what is going on here. This is about the purity of the godly line. This is about Jacob aligning with the children of God and not the people of the serpent. And so he is to go on this quest and he's to find a wife from among their people. And now with that direct instruction for who he should unite himself to, 
Isaac expands the, expands the blessing that he's putting on Jacob. He states that God will bless him and make him fruitful and he'll multiply him. And we've heard that language over and over in the book of Genesis, right? Be fruitful, multiply. And this is that recurring statement. And it goes back to the creation and back to the idea that the people of God are to fill the earth. They're not to sit around and be only concerned with themselves. They are to go out Now remember back also, they didn't keep the command to fill the earth and to leave that region. And what happened? The the whole Tower of Babel incident occurred. And all of this expansion, all of this being fruitful and multiply, it's an important part of the covenant. God's people are not just to sit still. They are to multiply and in doing so, expand the influence of the people of God, raising their children to fear the Lord. And you get the importance of this. Evangelism is important. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong with what I'm going to say here. But not many of us here today came to faith later in life, did we? What happened? Our parents were fruitful. They multiplied. They raised us in the faith. We were a part of the covenant people of God from the beginning. And we could expand upon this idea, but you get what I'm saying. This is why this is such a huge part of the blessing to Jacob. Be fruitful and multiply. It isn't just to have kids to keep the line going. It's also to expand the people of God and to do God's will. And you can see this when Isaac says, so you will become a company of peoples because the children of the serpent are many. We've seen that line expanded throughout Genesis too, haven't we? They seem to be everywhere. Everywhere the covenant people of God turn, the children of the serpent are there. And so now in Isaac's blessing, we see that the people of God will also be many. They are to be fruitful and multiply. And Isaac prays in this blessing that the fullness of the Abrahamic covenant will rest upon Jacob. It isn't just children It isn't just being a company of peoples. A huge part of the covenant with Abraham is the land that they will possess. Right now, they're sojourners in the land, but someday God has promised that that land will be theirs. And remember what we're meant to be feeling with this. They're in the land. They're there, but it isn't theirs yet. There's this sense of anticipation that God is going to fulfill the promise. He's going to bring them in. And it's, they're looking for this rest in the promised land, just as we look for rest in the city of God. And there's this tension there. We're looking for this to happen. There's a rest coming someday for the people of God, but they don't have it yet. They're not in full possession of it yet. And as I said, that's part of the tension in all that is happening, not only in Genesis, but in the entire Old Testament. You have all this stuff happening, but there's something more that is to come. There's something greater. The stories that we read, the miracles that we see are all amazing and great in the Old Testament, but they're pointing to that hope. They're pointing to Christ. They're pointing to the city of God and the rest that is there for the people of God. They're looking to final fulfillment. And that only comes when the seed of the woman comes and crushes the head of the serpent. And so we've seen the details of this blessing, and we see that Jacob is sent away, and when we arrive in the final part of the passage, we find that Esau still just just doesn't get it. 
He doesn't get the things of God. He just wants the blessing for the earthly benefits. And we see that he will do whatever he thinks will help him to acquire those things. Now you have to appreciate the effort that Esau puts into this. Here as we look at verses 6 through 9, you've got to appreciate that Esau is going after it here. He's trying to figure something out. He just doesn't go into a corner and pout about how his mom likes his younger brother better than him. And Yeah, now sure he threw a tantrum and says he's going to kill his brother, but I'm sure a lot of you have said that about your siblings, right? Uh, no, he was serious. But Esau puts in the effort. He gives information about this. He hears about this blessing. He's observant. He knows what Isaac did. And so he works with this information. And look what we find here as we land in verse 6. He, he sees that Isaac blessed Jacob again and, and that he's sent away. He also sees that he just isn't sending him away to be safe from the vengeance of Esau. Jacob is sent away to acquire a wife. And now we know what the story, uh, we know the story behind this very well. It's about the covenant line. It's about not intermixing the line of the serpent with the line to the seed of the woman. We know that throughout Genesis there were issues over and over when that happened. Because remember back to before the flood when the sons of God intermixed with the daughters of men and the people of God were blended together with the children of the serpent and it, it led to all this ungodliness and violence. We know this. We know this part of the story. And it's likely that maybe even Esau knew that story. But we see here that he doesn't understand the significance of where Jacob is going to get a wife. Who knows? Maybe he hasn't been told that bigger story. But as we are told about what he does, we get the idea once again that Esau isn't concerned with the promise of God. He just doesn't get it. Esau doesn't know what's going on. He hears that Isaac told Jacob that he must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. So Esau thinks he has this whole thing figured out. He's got it figured out why Jacob got the blessing and he didn't. I'm not getting my father's blessing because I married a Hittite woman and my mom didn't like it and so that's the whole reason this is all messed up. The whole issue is I married the wrong woman. If I want the blessing of my father, then I need to get a wife that he'll approve of. So it's interesting just how formulaic this seems to be for Esau. If the blessing didn't come to me because I married a Canaanite, all I need to do is marry someone that my father must approve of. And Esau acts as though who he marries is a magic bullet that will allow him to be blessed. And to be fair, we've all probably gone about this some way ourselves. We, we want something to go well in our lives, and we feel as though we've done something incorrectly, and so our solution is to do something we think is the correct thing to do, and we then hope that this will get things going in the right direction. I'm sure we've all done this with our parents at some point. Boy, I really would like this or that, so if I start behaving, I'll bet I'll get it. We've done that. But I think we've probably all tried this with God, too. Something in our life isn't going the way we'd like. And so we assume that it's, it's that pesky sin that we struggle with. And so we'll figure out how to stop that for a while, at least. And we'll read our Bibles a little more, and we'll say some extra prayers. 
And that'll, fitch, that'll flip a switch somewhere in the divine economy that will help us to get what we're after. That's our natural human inclination to think that way, that we can somehow do the right thing and, and this will happen for us. But we know. We know that's not how things work. There isn't, there isn't a behavior that's like a magic button that can fix the messes we've gotten ourselves into. And this is especially true in the case of Esau. Because instead of fixing his issue and getting him a blessing, he actually shows his ignorance for the things of God. Look at where he goes to get a wife for himself. He gets a bride who is the daughter of Ishmael. Talk about adventures in missing the point, Esau. You went to the wrong place. He finds another wife who's from their family, but they're not in the covenant line. Instead of solving anything, his troubles now double. Ishmael is the brother of his father. He he has found someone that's in their family, but it's someone from among those who have aligned with the serpent. As I've said, Esau once again shows that he just flat out doesn't get what's going on here. He thinks that this is an earthly problem. But ultimately, it's a spiritual problem. This is not about the things of man. This is about the things of God. It's about the fulfillment of the promise. It's not about who is going to be blessed with earthly goods to have the most cattle and the most possessions and the biggest family. It's not about who's going to have the most fame. It's about the covenant promise of God to bring about the one who will crush the head of the serpent, who will save us from our sin. And we have been shown that at every possible turn, Esau just does not understand. He doesn't get it. And so even though he is the eldest son, he is not the child of the promise. It is not his offspring that will be blessed. Instead, the words that Isaac spoke over Jacob will come to pass. The promise and the blessing will go to Jacob and to his offspring. And as we will continue in the coming weeks through the story of Jacob, we will find that God will ordain that this will come to pass. The covenant promise will be kept by God and Jacob will be blessed. God keeps his promises, period. So this is a short little passage and truly, it's a transitional one in the story. We've seen the birth of the twins and we are left with no doubt that Jacob is the child of the promise as we end up here. He's acquired Esau's birthright. He received blessings from Isaac and now he is headed out to find a wife from among the people of the promise. He is the one. And we're going to find that even though he is a scoundrel, God is going to be at work in him to accomplish his purposes because God keeps his promises to his people. God will bring the one who will crush the head of the serpent. So what do we do with this passage? Like I said, it's a transitional passage. It's short. What application can we come away with as we prepare to step out into the world in this coming week? As we've looked at the life of Esau, I said, he just doesn't get it several times. Over the last several weeks, I've said that many times. Esau just doesn't get it. And that's why the application I want us to focus on this morning is that we be the opposite of Esau. We should be striving to concern ourselves with the things of God because the world flies by us at an astounding pace 
And that world has zero concern for the things of God. Like Esau, it is only out for the material and the temporary benefits that we can acquire. But there's more to this life than acquiring possessions and pursuing pleasure. The things of God turn our eyes from the things of the world that distract us from Him and His purposes. When we concern ourselves with the things of God, we find that in Him we have peace, we have joy, we have hope. When we concern ourselves with the things of God, we know that we have life beyond, beyond the fading things of this world. And so, how do we concern ourselves with the things of God? Esau didn't seem to understand the big point, did he? He looked for the temporary blessings of this life. He didn't understand that the promise and the blessing was beyond what he could see in front of his face. Esau was not looking for the city to come. And so, for us to concern ourselves with the things of God, we need to know God's Word. We need to understand that the big point of all of it is that God, in Christ, has saved us. And we look to that great hope and trust that because the wrath of God was paid for our sin, we have the ultimate hope. And this ultimate hope shapes us. It forms us. The Spirit is at work in us to understand the things of God. And it helps us to see that God gives us a comprehensive way of looking at the world. The things of God are not something we keep in our pocket for when we need it or when it can help us feel better. The things of God shapes the decisions we make. It determines what we value, what we care about, and it builds up the relationships that we have. A concern for the things of God permeates our being and shapes how we view the world and how we live in a lost and dying world that isn't concerned with the things of God. And today... We're blessed to be able to have something in front of us that reminds us of the things of God. This covenant meal that is set before us today shows us the fulfillment of the promise that was to Abraham. Esau didn't get the big picture, but in front of us today, we have the fulfillment of the big picture. It shows us that Jesus came. He was the seed of the woman. He was the fulfillment of the promise who crushed the head of the serpent in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. He did this all in his sacrificial death. And so as we consume the meal this morning, may we be reminded of the things of God. May we remember how the things of God are to permeate our lives. Just as we eat the bread and drink the cup and it goes into us and nourishes us, May the things of God go within us and change who we are and how we live and how we think. May this meal not only nourish us, but may it enable us to serve because God is at work in us today through his word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And may we trust that in this meal that we are participating in today and with the word that we have heard, may we know that God is at work in us and his good promise to his people, us, his covenant people, that good promise will come to pass as we look for the city that is to come. Amen.